hello, and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Discovery Point Church. Those of you who are online, thank you for being here. We are, we are blessed by your presence uh, today. I have the pleasure of introducing our new series that we are about to embark on called Kingdom Life. So will you pray with me as we embark upon this endeavor? Father in heaven, thank you for a sweet time to worship you and to be reminded, Lord Jesus, of what you have done for us. Lord, thank you for shedding your blood on the cross for us. Thank you for uh, the sacrifice you made on our behalf that we could be set free from our sins. And Lord, in setting us free from our sins, you put us to work for yourself and for the Holy Spirit and for God the Father that we might be about kingdom business. And Lord, it is kingdom business that we uh, are about to, to address this evening. So, Father, I just pray that your spirit would take control, that he would speak and use me for your glory, that your people might be encouraged because of what you have to say today. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. And so we are beginning a new series uh, this weekend, starting today, and that series is simply entitled Kingdom Life. And the series is designed to help move us in, in an intentional way into a mindset of living out kingdom life. Uh, this kingdom life, it's, it's more than a catchphrase. It's, it's more than a, than a cliche. Kingdom life is what we are all about this year at Discovery Point Church. And it's not that we haven't been in the past, but we're emphasizing kingdom life more this year. And it is our goal to, to see life change in all of us so that kingdom living becomes second nature to us. Well, why the big emphasis on kingdom life? Well, two reasons. Number one is simply this, so that we can fulfill our purpose. So that we can fulfill our purpose. You know, God created us so that we could glorify himself. And in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7, God says to the north and to the south to release his people. And he says, everyone who was called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. And God commands the north and the south to give up his people that he has created for his glory. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says this to the church, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to what? Glory. To the glory of God. Paul says no matter what you do, it is to be done to the glory of God. Whether you're at work or you're at home, in your neighborhood or at the park or the bowling alley or Wherever you might find yourself, whatever we find ourselves doing, it is to glorify God. Does that make sense? But there's something else that God has created us for, and that is to make disciples. 
In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus, as he is about to ascend into heaven, tells his disciples this. He says, go therefore, or as you are going, make disciples of all the nations, all the ethne, all the ethnicities, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and lo, don't miss this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so our purpose is to glorify God. Our purpose is to make disciples. Our purpose is also to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. On that same mount, as Jesus was about to sin, he tells his disciples this as they're arguing about when will the kingdom be established. He tells them in verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. You know what that means? That, that means Phoenix and Glendale and Surprise and El Mirage and Peoria and Avondale and Tolleson, that we are to be his witnesses, that we are to testify about the goodness of Jesus, about the grace of Jesus and what he has done in our lives. The second reason we are focusing on kingdom life is because humanity needs Jesus more than ever. If you've seen the news in the last 30 seconds or the last 30 days, you, you can see where our culture is going. You know, Pastor Ron talked about this just a few weeks ago. When you push God to the margins, when you put him out of school and you put him out of public life and you relegate him to the closet, Things happen. And if you look at our culture, our culture is just morally bankrupt. Would you agree with that statement? Amen. Our crime rates are, are, are rising. Our children are being abused and groomed and indoctrinated. Uh, just this week, we had some legislatures uh, in our nation's capital, 210 who voted against the Born Alive abortion bill that would, that would compel doctors to give life-giving aid to children who survive abortions. And they said, we don't want that. Suicides are on the rise. Political corruption seems to be everywhere. There are wars and threats of wars. And I can go on and on and on and on. But my point is simply this. As Pastor Ron said, when you get rid of God, don't be surprised if things get seven, seven times as worse. And what's happening in our culture is not new. This has been going on throughout the history of humanity. Will you turn with me to Judges chapter 2? It's in the Old Testament, to the left of Matthew. But Judges chapter 2, I just want you to see that what's happening is not new. When you get rid of God, when you push God to the margins, when you tell God you no longer want to serve him or acknowledge him, then you, you often get what you, what you ask for. And in in Judges chapter 2, Joshua has just died. And so the, the, this is 1370 B.C., about 3,400 years ago, the nation of Israel finds itself in a, in, a, in a predicament. Look at Judges chapter 2, beginning in verse 10. So Joshua has died, and the text says this, All, the, all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord. 
nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. So they weren't teaching their children about what God had done prior. Then, verse 11, the, the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. Verse 13, so they forsook the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel. Look at these words. And he gave them into the hands of the plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them so that they, so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Verse 15. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. As the Lord had spoken and as the Lord had sworn to them so that they were severely distressed. That's what happens when you push God to the margins and you tell God you want nothing to do with him. But verse 16, look at the text with me. Then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them. And we see this cycle throughout the book of Judges where Israel falls into sin, worships other gods, God punishes them, sometimes for decades. And it gets so bad that they turn around and they cry out to God for help and God raises up another judge who then saves them and they worship God for a little while and then when that judge dies, they go back into their sin, and this cycle happens over and over and over in chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 6, chapter 10, chapter 13. It just continues on, so much so that by the time you get to Judges chapter 21, verse 25, the writer of Judges says this. He says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Even though God was their king, they had no king because they had rejected God. And every man's truth was worth his weight in gold. And they did what was right in their own eyes. Something a lot like today, where anything goes, whether it's true or not true. It's as though absolute truth is a, is a, is a fallacy. And your truth and my truth, even though they might disagree and contradict each other, it's still true. But that's what happens when you push God out of your culture and you push God out of society. And this really sets up the book of Samuel because in Samuel chapter, chapter 8, Israel has decided, because Samuel is old and his sons aren't really following God, they want a king like all the other nations. They want a man to rule over them. And this, this hurts Samuel. So he goes to God and God says, don't take this personal. It's not you they're rejecting, but it's me. And God says to Samuel, you let them know that if they want to go this, down this line of reasoning, if they want a king, that he's going to take the best of their crops, 10%, the best of their livestock. He's going to take their servants and, and their perfumers and their sons and their daughters. And eventually, Samuel, God says, they're going to wind up enslaved to the king. Do you really want to go this way? 
And the nation's leaders come together and they say, yes, give us a king. And in 1 Samuel chapter 8, just go to the right with me. I want you to see this. 1 Samuel chapter 8, when Israel makes this decision to, to reject the God that has brought them out of the land of Egypt, their fathers, and has fought for them. Look at verse 18 with me. 1 Samuel chapter 8, look at verse 18. God says this. He says, then you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. God told Samuel, if this this is what you want, just know that one day it's going to get so bad, you're going to call out to me, I'm not going to answer you. Because I'm going to let you have your sin, and I'm going to let your sin have you. Still love you, but I'm going to let you reap the consequences of your decision. And if you have time, sometime this weekend, read Isaiah chapter 5. And see how God abandons the nation. He doesn't stop loving them, but he leaves them to themselves. Well, Pastor Rod, I hear you guys saying and thinking, that's the Old Testament. That's Israel. It is. But go with me to Romans chapter 1. Will you do that? To the right, New Testament. Romans chapter 1. Because the Apostle Paul uh, says the very same thing. Romans chapter 1. I'm going to begin in verse 8. Where Romans says this, Paul says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. Did you catch that? They knew God, but they chose to reject God. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Drop down to verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over. New Testament. You don't want me? You want your sin more than me? Have it. I'll let you have it. And oftentimes, it winds up having them. So question. How can we make a difference today? When you, when, you, when, you read, when you hear the news and you watch the news and you read the news online or wherever you get your news from, how can we make a difference today as the church of Jesus Christ, as Discovery Point Church? How can we make a difference in the 21st century? The fields, as Jesus said, are white for harvest. And I was talking with Pastor Greg earlier today, and we were just talking about uh, the number of churched and unchurched people here here in our area. And I did a little math, and uh, approximately there are 160,000 unchurched people in Peoria. 
Uh, in surprise, there are 133,000 unchurched people. In El Mirage, there are 30,000 unchurched people. And in Glendale, there are, some, there are approximately 200,000 unchurched people. And so the harvest field is, 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 is before it. What if we, like, like David did, what if we served God with our whole heart, with all that we are, that all that is within us? What if we served God like David, who whenever he had, he had an issue, he went to the Lord first. He prayed. He consulted God, despite the circumstance. What if today, better yet, what if right now we remembered our first love and repented for those things that have gotten in the way and returned to serve him anew today? What if we remembered, repented, and returned to our first love? Well, guess what? Today is your opportunity. If you are here, or if you're online, and you are watching this, today is your day to make a difference in the world, to make a difference in your community, to make a difference in your city, for the state, to make a difference for this nation. And we don't have to do it all at once, just one heart at a time. One heart at a time, one person at a time. You know, what I find interesting is simply this, uh, generally speaking, oftentimes Christians, we, we pigeonhole our faith into Saturday evening and Sunday morning. We, we gather together in a place such as this, and we, we sing songs to the Lord, and um, we, we hear an encouraging, uplifting, and, and, and make us kind of feel good 15 or 20-minute message. And then we go home to live our lives. But our purpose goes beyond Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Kingdom living is a lifestyle. And last week, Pastor Greg laid out our purpose as a church. He reminded us of the reason that Discovery Point Church exists. He talked about our mission. And our mission is to know him and make him known. And that him is Christ. Not to know facts about who Jesus is, but to have a deep, intimate, ongoing relationship with him. And then to share the results of that with others. That's why we exist as a church. To know Jesus and to make him known. That's our mission. And Pastor Greg talked about our vision. And that is transformed lives. To see the lives of those within our spheres of influence changed for Jesus Christ to increase the kingdom, to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ and begin that process of discipleship so that then they can go tell somebody and then they can go tell somebody and we multiply and increase the kingdom of God. And then our values. We talked about our values last week. To live to God for God's glory, to love for the good of others, and to lead to expand the kingdom. 
these are our values, to live, to love, and to lead. And it's all focused around Jesus, to bring him glory, to show others his love, and to expand the kingdom. And the series that we are embarking on today is designed to move us into our mission. It's, it's designed to help us view the vision as being attainable. And it's, it's to help us see our values as vital. We want to be a community of faith here at Discovery Point Church that lives out kingdom life each and every day. Amen? Amen. That is what we are about. We want this kingdom life to be a lifestyle. Jesus says this in, in, in Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 and 38. He says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Those were some harsh words. But Jesus meant what he said. Jesus says, if you don't take up your cross daily, that means each and every day that God gives us, we are to pick up that cross, which we're, we're dying to self. We're dying to my will, and we're saying yes to God's will. Jesus says, if you don't take up your cross daily, if you don't die to self daily, then you're not worthy of him. That's not Rod, that's Jesus. And so we need to take up our cross every day and die to self. But later on in Matthew, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. And he says to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Three commands. Deny himself. It's in the middle voice, which means it's an action that we have to do. We have to make a decision of our wills to deny self, our wills, and accept his will for us. And he says to take up your cross. Make the time, take the time, pick it up and carry it. Die to yourself, he says. And then here's here's the thing. He says, follow me. It's a daily, ongoing lifestyle. Just like picking up your cross daily. We are to follow Jesus daily. Because we belong to him. He paid such a great price, such a high price for us. He gave his life and shed his blood. And so the kingdom life is like discipleship. It is a daily endeavor. It is a lifestyle that reflects Jesus Christ. There's a member here who I was, I was reeds dropping. It's like eavesdropping, but I was reading over my wife's shoulder. She was on Facebook about a week ago, and she's just reading posts, and we're sitting having coffee uh, last Saturday morning, and as I'm thinking about this weekend and trying to make things relevant, um, she read a post, and I thought, as, I, as I'm reeds dropping over her shoulder, I said, who wrote that? And I read it, and there was a line in this post that struck me. And it said this. It said, let's not compartmentalize our church thing or our family thing or our work thing, but that everything be about Jesus. 
And I got to tell you, that, that struck a chord with me. And it almost brought me to tears. Because it's easy for us to compartmentalize our life. Church on Sunday. Everything else is mine. No, no, everything in our life ought to be about Jesus. And this, this quote just, it just spoke volumes to me. That our life should be about him. And Paul tells the church in Philippi, in, in Philippians 3, verse 20, he reminds the church that this is not our home. This world, this culture is not our home. Paul says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He reminds the church that this is not it. We're just aliens passing through. So when we see the corruption in our culture, just, just know this is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven, where our king is, where our Lord is, where our Savior is. We, we are ambassadors for Jesus and for his kingdom wherever we go. Don't miss that. Wherever we go, whatever we do, we represent the kingdom of God. What are people seeing in us? When they see us, when they encounter us, when they talk to us. And as citizens of heaven, we have a king, we have a savior, who, who expects us to live a certain way. Uh, hold this slide here, Stuart. Jesus has expectations for us and how we live and what we do and what we say and where we go. When I was a boy, when I was much younger, I grew up in Little Rock, and go ahead and bring up that picture, Stuart. My mother expected me to take care of my room each and every day to make my bed and clean my room. And I don't know why, but for some reason, I took a picture of my room one day. This is the room that I grew up in. My, my bed's not made. My weights are on the floor. My saxophone case is on the floor. I've got clothes everywhere and um, push-button phone, if you remember those. Um, that, that's corded. Yeah. My mom expected me to make my bed and clean my room. But here's the thing. There was a secret. Because my mom went to work about 6 in the morning. She left about 6.30. I knew that at 3.30, she got off from work. And if she came straight home by 4.10, she was pulling in the driveway. So I had 40 minutes to do a quick clean, make my bed, stuff away, so that when she got home, everything would seem to be in order and where it was supposed to be. D-dog the house, because I bring in the dog when he wasn't supposed to be. That's another story. Um, but my mother had expectations that I, I just kind of flouted. Got in trouble a few times, but that's OK. My wife said, my, my room still looks like this, but it's, it's not that way always. And, but then something happened in my life. And there were some changes that occurred. Uh, I left my mother's house. And there was a new authority in my life. And with this new authority came, guess what? New expectations. New expectations about how I was to live my life. What I was supposed to say, how I was supposed to walk and act and talk and do and go. 
And these expectations were placed on me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, so that these expectations became a lifestyle. Go ahead and go to the next slide, Stuart. And so I joined the Air Force. And there were expectations that made my life not what it used to be, but it made it something radically different. And it wasn't just whenever you can get away with it. No, it was all the time. And so every morning, I got up. This is in technical training. I made my bed. There was a pillow in there somewhere. Because this was the expectation. You will make your bed. You will act a certain way. You will conduct yourself a certain way. You will, you will speak a certain way. And this became my life. And it still affects me even today. I still say, yes, sir, no, sir, if you talk to me long enough. But the Air Force had expectations that I had to follow. Well, guess what? Jesus has expectations about his people to glorify God, to make disciples, to be his witnesses, and to live like a kingdom citizen. Not like the world, but we are supposed to be living like we are citizens of heaven. And I agree, sometimes we fail. Sometimes I fail miserably. But then I get reminded, and the Spirit reminds me, don't forget who you are. People are watching you. And I straighten up and make my bed and do whatever I have to do so that people see Jesus in me. And so Jesus' expectations for the kingdom are found in Matthew chapter 5, in the Beatitudes. And it's in Matthew where he portrays Jesus as the Messiah, as the, as the coming king who has come to set up his kingdom, who has come to prepare his kingdom, who has come so that his kingdom can flourish. And his kingdom is kind of that already but not yet. It's already here, but it's not quite yet completed until he comes back. But in the meantime, you and I have the responsibility as ambassadors for Jesus Christ of introducing people to the kingdom of God. But we can't do that if we're acting like the world, if we're talking like the world, if we're living our life like the world, if the world is influencing us more than Jesus Christ is. And so in Matthew chapter 1, we, we, we get the pedigree of Jesus. We, we see that he is a son of Abraham. He's a son of David, which means he's in line to be king. He has a right to sit on the throne. And we have his genealogy. And in Matthew chapter 2, we have his birth and the flight to Egypt. In Matthew chapter 2 and 3, we have John the Baptist who comes on the scene. And he prepares the way for Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, Matthew says this, Now in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent! Why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And wherever Jesus is, the kingdom is. And wherever you and I are, we represent that kingdom. And John says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's almost here. you got to get your hearts ready. Repent. And John baptizes Jesus in, in, in John chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. And, and the Trinity shows up where you've got Jesus being baptized. You've got the Holy Spirit anointing him. And you've got God the Father speaking from heaven. So this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And you have the Trinity in verses 16 and 17. After which in Matthew chapter 4, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness, into the desert for 40 days to tempt him. 
and he doesn't fall for the temptation. I love what Tony Evans says. Tony Evans says that Satan came onto God's territory in the Garden of Eden and got Adam and Eve to sin, which got them kicked out of the garden and into the desert. He says, but Jesus goes into the desert to usher us back into the garden, back into a right relationship with God. And so he goes on to Satan's turf in the desert and comes back triumphant. And he displays the power of the kingdom. Look at Matthew chapter 4 with me, verse, beginning in verse 23. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. Matthew records this. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. Jesus went preaching the kingdom and demonstrating the power of the kingdom through healing people. Of what, what's he say? Of every kind of sickness, of every kind of disease. Demonstrating who he was. Charles Spurgeon says this about Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. He says, this is the, the natural order of royal action. The king is anointed comes among the people to show his power and afterwards acts as a legislature and sets forth his statutes. Hence the Beatitudes. J. Dwight Pentecost says this about the Sermon on the Mount. He says, the Sermon on the Mount was our Lord's exposition of the holiness of God and the demands that a holy God made. It describes the kind of righteousness that God expects of those who have come to know him by faith. Don't miss that. It describes the, the, the kind of righteousness that God expects of those who have come to know Jesus by faith. Kingdom life is what we're about to embark on. Here's a question. Are you ready to make a difference? Are you ready to make a difference in the lives of your children? Are you ready to make a difference in the life of your spouse or your significant other? Are you ready to make a difference in your neighborhood, within your extended family, with your coworkers, with folks in the marketplace, wherever you might find yourself, are you ready to make a difference? If you said yes to that question, stick with us. Because there are people in our culture who are hurting. There are people in our culture who are harmful. There are people in our culture who are hopeless. And we've got the greatest message the world has ever known. And that is the gospel of the kingdom. And our hope and prayer as we embark on this journey of kingdom life is that they will see that hope and experience that love through us. You know, Jesus came to show the world the Father's love. And we have that same responsibility to show the world the love of Jesus Christ and the Father. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for this moment in history. Father, prepare our hearts to live out the kingdom life, to live a life in such a way that you were glorified, to live a life in such a way that others will see your son Jesus in us and will experience his grace and his love and his compassion and his truth. 
And so, Lord, prepare our hearts to enter the harvest that is before us and remind us that we are your ambassadors and that you are our king and that heaven is our home where our citizenship is. Holy Spirit, empower us to make a decision of our wills to do the things that we don't want to do, that we say that we will never do. Remind us that we have been bought with a price and that we belong to Jesus and that we are here to do his will. Help us to die to self daily so that you might be glorified through us. And we ask these things, Lord Jesus, in your name and for your glory and all God's people said. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We pray you allow this message to transform you to take what you learned and share the love of Jesus to those around you. You can stay informed and connected by following Discovery Point Church on all social media platforms. Thank you and God bless you.